We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Field, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Stephanie Wyrock and Brandon Pohn. Today's special guest is Dr. Kyle Coffey of the Modus Physical Therapy and Exercise Physiology Program uh, Director at University of Massachusetts Lowell. And we're thrilled to have Kyle on today to talk about his new undergraduate degree path and uh, the emphasis really on population health. So, Kyle, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. What do you think um, you could tell our audience about your academic journey and maybe how it led you to where you are today? Yeah, certainly. First off, thanks for having me. Um, I love what you guys are doing and the message you're delivering and, and just having a different perspective from different people in the field and topics and concepts. So, keep it up. But um, yeah, so I graduated from the University of Massachusetts Lowell, um, where I currently work, so my alma mater, in 2010 with my Doctor of Physical Therapy degree. And um, I also attended undergraduate studies there. I did the exercise physiology undergraduate degree and uh, minor in nutrition. Um, and then after that, uh, after I graduated with my doctorate, I went to private practice for four years working for someone else, um, made the shift to academia full-time. Uh, four years ago as well. Um, and at that time, I was still per diem in a hospital outpatient clinic. But uh, let's see, probably two, 2016. So two years ago, I decided to open up my own uh, small cash breaks practice in my community. Um, I just felt like after a while, I wanted to have a little bit more control over how I practiced and the type of care I wanted to be known for particularly in my community. And that was really to focus on a population health style, whether it be physical therapy or, or strength and conditioning or wellness. And then on top of that, uh, over the last year and a half, another branch off that company is teaching continuing ed courses through modern strength training, uh, blood flow restriction therapy and training courses um, with someone I know you're both aware of, Ursin Religioso and his modern manual branch. Um, monomanual therapy. So, you know, it's really been a wild ride. Um, when I sat down to, you know, think about this podcast interview, it, it was really crazy to think back and realize how much I've accomplished in the last eight years. And, um, but I just am someone who needs to have my hands in so many different pots. Um, so it really works out pretty well for me. 
Yeah, no, totally. I mean, just hearing your bio and just hearing all that you've done, I'm just like, how does this guy do it? I, I really don't get that. But, you know, Kyle, in a perspective that we haven't had on the show yet, because we've talked with pharmacy students, nurse practitioners, OTs, registered dietitian, we're trying to go more interdisciplinary to kind of gain some perspective on what other health professions are going through from their education standpoint. But one, one specialty that we have not really gone through formally at this time that we haven't had on is exercise physiology. Now, with you kind of being a program director within that kind of speciality there, do you think you can kind of walk us through kind of the overall general structure of the exercise physiologist program in regards to like how the curriculum is, how the clinical rotations are, just to kind of give some context on the general education and training of exercise physiologists? Sure. The American College of Sports Medicine, which is really the professional organization that started exercise physiology, or at least the, the exercise physiologist field, they, they, they think of exercise uh, physiologists as uh, professionals who provide exercise-related um, counseling or consulting. They, they do assessments, individualized training. So, you know, you can think of it like a strength and conditioning specialist, you know, CSCS from the NSCA. Um, but what the CSCS didn't have that exercise physiologists had um, are really the, the training on comorbidities and, and population health and that sort of thing. Now, CSCS now has their uh, special population certification, so they've kind of taken that on. Um, but at the core, exercise physiology are really interested in the entirety of the individual, entirety of the client that they're working with. Um, and, and I think, honestly, taking a step back, if I'm thinking about it critically in my undergraduate degree, that's probably where my, my love for population health comes from because that was my first degree is, is exercise physiology. Um, but at, at UMass Lowell, um, we've had an exercise physiology program for probably 25 years. Um, and it's a four-year undergraduate program. Um, they have 12 weeks of clinical practicum in their senior year. So they go out either to strength and conditioning facilities or corporate fitness, um, more and more businesses, communities, institutions looking to implement fitness and exercise and health. But their coursework is really um, highly science-based. So they take chemistry, they take physics, they take anatomy and physiology, they take human nutrition, human biochem. I mean, it is a very science-heavy um, course load. And so a lot of our students use it as a jumping point um, for graduate clinical studies, whether it's physical therapy, occupational therapy, physician assistant, MD, Cairo, even vet. Um, so it's kind of a unique program. We have a lot of students who bring unique perspectives to exercise and fitness, which is, which is not um, very common if you look across other academic institutions. Yeah, no, I think that was really helpful to kind of gain some insight on that because personally, I had no idea. And, you know, I'm kind of really curious, Kyle, do you think you could kind of tell us about how you really started off with kind of teaching and kind of working your way up to being now the program director at University of Massachusetts Lowell's exercise physiology department? Like, how did that all, how did that all come about? And how are you enjoying that? So I always knew I wanted to be in academia in some way. I didn't know how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen, what it was going to entail because academic positions are not really freely available, particularly um, the non-research-based positions, which I'm interested in most. So, I, I mean, I do do some research and I think it's highly valuable, obviously, but I, I really wanted to get into academia to teach. 
I wanted to um, advise students and, and really help guide them to the career choice that made the most sense for them. So this, the story for me is kind of crazy. Four years after I graduated, I just received a phone call from a friend and mentor who was the department chair at the time. And she pretty much said to me, you know, we're, we're up a creek. We have a, a professor who, who left suddenly. Um, we're talking two weeks before the semester started, uh, fall semester. And she knew I was working in the area and she goes, hey, um, we need an adjunct. Can you teach an exercise physiology lecture? And it was almost a no-brainer. I, I, looking back, I, I think I'm a little, it was a little bit crazy. Two weeks before the semester, um, I said yes. And I had the material sent to me. I'm literally editing the content as I'm walking into the first lecture. I'm adding new stuff. I'm adding case studies. Um, and I really learned the ropes of academia in a semester. It was this whirlwind thing. I was still treating full time. So it just, you know, was completely out of my comfort zone because I'm a really uber prepared and organized individual, but it was really forced me to think about how I was going to create that content in that course for the students because I didn't have the time to really sit back and think about it. I, I had to make a decision. I had to think critically. Um, and, and it turned out to be a great semester. And then after that semester finished, there was a full-time opportunity that was posted um, and I applied and I got that. And then kind of fortuitously, six months into being a full-time uh, lecturer at the university, they said, uh, um, so we have an opening for the program director because that person left the university. <laughs> and so I, uh, I started that job just again on a whim. I said, yeah, on an interim basis, let's see how it goes. And now four years later, I've been in that position and I love it. I mean, it really great gives me a, a really cool opportunity to be a touch point because I teach. But, uh, you know, we have anywhere between 400 to 450 undergraduate students across all grades in this major. So I just get to be a, a really cool touch point for them in, in times when they're really vulnerable in terms of, you know, how am I going to make it through school? What am I going to do? So, yeah, it's turned out to be a great ride. Yeah, Kyle, that's a pretty crazy uh, ascension of the latter story for sure. But what are some things that you've learned about higher education from being in your position as a program director now? It's literally the same as any other job. I mean, it is challenging and rewarding. It's a battle of personalities, politics, progress, um, dissenting ideas, um, but I think, you know, as program director, it kind of opened my eyes as to why decisions are made at a higher level. You know, as a faculty member, sometimes you're not aware of why administrators or even your department chair make decisions, um, but they have the best interests of the department or the college or the university at heart. And then you realize that the administration is not out to get you when in fact, they're really helping you out in the long run. And I think looking back, it kind of parallels what we, what we have in a regular clinic setting. You know, we have that old age old management versus physical therapist battle. And then you, you know, six months after a decision's made, you go, Oh, I see. I see why that was happening. So really there, there, there wasn't a change. I mean, it's the same. Now, speaking of uh, a little bit of the management versus physical therapy battle, I mean, you wear a bunch of different hats throughout your, your career here, right? How do you balance being a, pro a program director and a business owner and an educator and all the other things that you're doing at once? How do you find time to balance all that stuff? Um, 
I was joking before we the, this podcast started, but lots and lots of coffee. It is my last name, but I do enjoy it. So that's not really that hard of a problem for me. But but honestly, the, the word I can think of is carefully. You know, like my wife is a super strong advocate of me keeping my hands dirty, even though it drives her nuts sometimes because she knows that's the type of person I am. But she's also the one who, who kind of reins me in is like, look, you're going down too many too many paths here. So I think you always have to have someone in your corner who can say, you know, just take a step back. You're doing great. You don't need to keep pushing. Enjoy the, the process. Um, I, I think the, the biggest advice is um, creating systems. You know, when you have that many hands in different pots, you have to have systems in place for everything. So, so one instance that I can think of as program director, uh, undergraduate program director is um, at minimum during the semester, particularly during the height of the semester, mid-semester, I can receive anywhere between 35 to 50 emails a day. And those are from, you know, undergraduate students, um, staff, faculty, administrators. Um, and, I, and I started to realize that the majority of them are coming from students. And the majority of the students who are emailing me have the same exact questions. So I really sat down and I figured out what those questions were and I created a website for them. And in every, in the bottom of my email signature, um, I have, if you're a student and you have questions regarding X, Y, or Z, I have links and they go to my website and they have every information there. I provided templates of how to fill out forms, you know, academic things that students get so anxious about. And then you provide those tools and it eases their tension and they realize you're helping them while still not answering their email. Um, and it was a really powerful moment. You know, I actually created an automatic email for six months for one whole semester that pretty much told anybody, including the dean of my college, that unless you needed me and it was super urgent, don't call me, just look at this website. And it, it took a little bit of time for people to kind of hang on, but then I started getting email from faculty going, can we do that? How do I do that? What can I do? <laughs> you know, how do I set that up? So Kyle, I know you kind of mentioned earlier about, you know, your undergraduate experience and how that really helped open your eyes up and really gave you a good population health background and such. But, you know, I'm curious with your role and how you transitioned more into teaching and now, of course, being the director, how have you applied knowing what you know about now and how have you applied some of these population health aspects into the exercise physiology program at UMass Lowell, either as a teacher or as a program director? Yeah, so my background with population health was completely experiential when I was um, in the clinic prior to joining the university. Um, it's not as formal or structured as it, as it is now. I mean, I was, when I was treating patients, I was definitely more on the individual level. I, I always had discussions with them regarding sleep and recovery and nutrition. Um, and, but I didn't really think of it as population health. I just thought of it as good care. I mean, honestly, when I was treating it, it just made sense to, you know, you have a wound and it's healing. Let's talk about rest and recovery and nutrition. Um, and, and, it really wasn't until I started the applied prevention and health promotions therapy um, certification course that I took this past um, spring where I just light bulbs started to go off in terms of, all right, I can see how this can be applied, not just as one course in academia, but as an entire degree where we can really solidify how it could work in an academic setting. And, and, and to be quite frank, how, can, how we can start molding the minds of students before they get out into the clinic and before 
they start to see what we all know as the rigors of physical therapy and medicine, medicine, you know, uh, insurance and, and time periods in terms of evals and treatments, the list can go on. So um, it just really became apparent to me that it was, if I had the opportunity, which I didn't realize it was going to be so soon, um, I needed to make sure that I could get this into an act, at least our academics uh, program. Yeah, so Kyle, speaking of your academic program, tell us a little bit about this new um, undergraduate degree pathway that you've been working on up there at UMass Lowell. Yeah, I mean, first off, it's not just me, it's the entire department and, and the college and the administration. Surprisingly, they're, they're really on board with it. Um, I, I guess I don't have to tell you guys that just the whole idea of population health and medicine isn't accepted. Uh, as as widely as it should, so it's it shouldn't be a surprise in in academia that it takes a little. It should at least um, in theory take some convincing, but they they were really um, behind it all. So, um, like I said, I I had been jotting down mental and physical scribbles on my ideas on this for a long time, and then this past um, semester, the administration came to our department and said, "Look, we really want to expand." Uh, the degree offerings you you guys have as a department, but we want to think critically about it. And, you know, again, it was pretty fortuitous. I had all these ideas down. I had literally pages um, where I had mapped out, you know, where courses would go and what semester as freshman or sophomore. And so, you know, 90% of what the the program is is came from my head and and where I saw these courses um, fitting in. So, and then on top of that, I mean, I think this is a, and this is an important key when you're going to add in a degree pathway like that, that's kind of revolutionary, so to speak, in terms of academia, it's an interdisciplinary degree. It's kind of outside the box a little bit, even though we don't think it is, you know, we had to, we use it as an opportunity to have like a departmental shift as well. We rebranded a little bit. So we changed our department name. We were just originally the department of physical therapy and now we're we're the Department of Physical Therapy and Kinesiology. And we changed from an exercise physiology degree to an exercise science degree. And we split the exercise science degree into two pathways. We have the clinical pathway, which is that science heavy one I was talking about. And now we have the population health, quote unquote, um, degree, which um, we all agreed on as exercise and fitness management. Um, and so you know, we didn't want to take physical therapy out of the name because for 40 years, that's been our bread and butter. It's the, the state's only public institution for physical therapy. But, but we really wanted to meet the demands and needs of current students and what the workforce really, truly needs. I mean, we can all agree on that. It really needs that. So out of that came the exercise and fitness management degree option. And it's interdisciplinary. It's got sciences. It's got exercise science courses, nutrition courses, business courses, public health courses. And so the end product is really, it's designed for students who want to work with institutions, businesses, and communities to implement wellness and fitness and um, any sort of those policies across individuals and, and, and institutions so that we can help their bottom line as well as their health bottom lines, right? Financial and health. So um, I think I, I, it, it Looking back, it's really crazy how, how quickly it came about. I mean, it took one semester to do, which in academia is unheard of. I mean, it's absolutely unheard of to have a degree approved at not just faculty level. It's got to go through faculty, 
um, so department and then faculty senate and then administration at the college and then board of trustees. So to do that in just under eight months is outrageous. Yeah, now Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, but this pathway is kind of tied to an MBA program as well, right? Yeah, so like I said, it has business courses in it. So what we we determined was if we include the core business courses that are required for any of the five business minors that we offer at UMass Lowell um, through the Manning School of Business, um, that we will likely get a lot of students. Again, this is this this degree is for students who are unsure whether they want to be clinical based. They can still go and do graduate studies, um, you know, PT and OT and all of that, but it's for those students who are unsure. So having the, the option to do a business minor in any of five areas is entrepreneurship, management, uh, accounting, financial, and I always forget the fifth one, but there's five of them. And, and then those core courses, they can then apply towards their MBA. So they can get their MBA in five years. That's pretty amazing that you've incorporated all of those aspects into the program. What do you see this degree path growing towards in the future? Uh, I really see us trying to build it on the graduate side of things. I think the undergraduate degree, honestly, is a huge foundation. It's got everything in there. So, you know, I, I personally have some grand ideas. I don't know how it's going to shake down with, with faculty and in the department and the institution, but the logical leap is that students – um, will be able to um, take this and get their master's of public health, so their MPH. Um, uh, we also have ergonomics master's, so a master's in ergonomics. There's, there's some pretty great ideas, but I will also say that, you know, from this degree pathway creation, we've also started to think about what we can do for our graduate program as well. And we're floating, or at least I like to float out the idea of, of doing a, a DPT MBA um, and having that hybrid because there's one thing I've learned we're really good at helping people but we don't help ourselves as much as we should in terms of marketing and business and I think that would be a really nice um, linkage for our uh, graduate DPT students. Yeah, no, totally, Kyle. And especially that you mentioned before with kind of getting this undergraduate degree that you've been working on, you know, the hierarchy and the steps you had to go through. And then you kind of mentioning some of these plans and ideas that you want to go to kind of take it to this next level. So say, for example, that another instructor, faculty member at a university wants to create, whether it be a new undergraduate, mm -hmm. a new undergraduate degree class or idea like you have. Um, now, of course, I realize that this is going to be different, varied on the institution, and there's many other factors involved with this. But what is the process of making some of these things a reality, like to get a real feel for kind of the hoops and barriers that one has to go through in academia to kind of work on getting some of these changes through? I'm a physical therapist by trade, and I got into academia to teach. So, um, I know the APHPT is, is, is famous for saying this, but it was certainly ready, fire, aim. I mean, I, <laughs> I was going through the semester learning the ropes and policies. Um, first and foremost, you know, anybody who's listening, feel free to contact me. Um, just from me posting on Twitter about this, I've had a few people reach out and, and we're, we're bouncing ideas off of each other. But ultimately, I think we had to find a way to create this degree with as little disruption to the infrastructure as possible at the university. And what I mean by that is I already mentioned how difficult or, or the multiple levels you had to go through to get approval for this degree. If you were creating 
so many new courses, you also had to get those approved. So it was a really collaborative decision-making process with all of these other departments, public health and nutrition and business and saying, look, this is going to help all of us because we're going to have students taking our courses. Which courses can you contribute in terms of enrollment and maybe opening up another section um, so that we could get these these, this course um, or degree pathway approved. So I really think if you're going to think about doing this as a pathway, you really need to look at what you have first. You have to sit down and say, we can use all these pieces and then fill it in rather than going down the pipe dream of, oh, I've always wanted to teach a course like this, or we've always wanted to have this course. And then it just becomes a snowball effect where it, it will bog down the whole process. So Kyle, that is a good lead in into my next question. How would you recommend that faculty at other schools try to get something like this program off the ground? Yeah, I think um, ultimately our process was super smooth compared to what it typically is in academia. Normally it takes a long time for even one single course to get approved. So I think Ideally, the way to make things as simple as possible is if you're thinking about, um, at least from a degree pathway standpoint, starting something up, it's to find courses or resources that already exist that you can insert into the degree pathway. And then from there, you know, you can create new courses as needed. Um, but if you think about it from an institution standpoint, they're more likely to approve a degree pathway given that you've shown there's going to be adequate enrollment if you're, you know, using resources already in place. Yeah, that's a great bit of advice, Kyle. I think realistically, you know, we try to do too much on our own and it sounds like you really stepped into a fairy tale sort of uh, situation with this program. It seems like it was pretty much flawless from start to finish and a real quick adaptation. And I don't know that people should expect that kind of thing, but I, I think realistically, like you said, reaching out and using the resources that are already there, like don't try to reinvent the wheel. Um, just because it's new, there's still a structure there that can be used from other foundational uh, platforms and programs. I know, when, especially when it comes to curriculum development, uh, I've seen a lot of that through the EDD program and, you know, use what's working and just adapt it to your needs. Um, that, that seems to kind of help speed the process up a little for sure. Um, but Kyle, what would you say are some books that you've read lately um, that you feel might be great resources, either for young professionals or clinicians or even educators? So I'm kind of on a non-clinical, non-educational book binge lately. I've, <laughs> I'm on a John Grisham kick lately. I've always was always a, a a fan of his work when I was younger, so I kind of picked that up, especially in the summer. But I mean, lately, honestly, I've been I've been circling back to um, like a handful of books that I've had in my library and I've read multiple times and I just find really good benefit in, in recircling back to the ones because uh, now that I'm at a different place and I've got this going on, I read them again and I go, that's how that applies in this situation. So, so for instance, when I mentioned systems earlier, I mean, the one that really kicked that off was the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. When I read that, you know, maybe, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, when I was still a student and it really helped my studying habits. And, and like I mentioned, then it helped me dealing with emails from students and, and all of that and the multiple different hands that I have in different pots. Um, Robert Sapolsky's book, um, why zebras don't get ulcers. 
Um, I think that is a really good book. Um, if you haven't read that one, it's about stress and stress response and how it relates to disease and health promotion. Um, Lieberman's story of the human body um, and how it affects disease and health promotion. That's a classic. Um, and one that's kind of out of left field, but really um, important, I think, for any anybody, really. But uh, physical therapists who are looking to take a lead, maybe as a manager or even in teaching or, or owning their own business, is Lincoln on Leadership. Uh, it's a great book about um, Abraham Lincoln and using war stories and how um, it, it demonstrated his leadership style and, and how he really got to talk to the troops and went down there and got his hands dirty, so to speak. Those are some really great book recommendations. Um, definitely kind of speaks to a little bit of fiction and a little bit of nonfiction. So I want to kind of circle back. I have a question based on some of the issues that you mentioned previously. You know, you've created this innovative program, but what do you think are the biggest issues in higher education that you see based on you being a program director? And do you see those issues being solved from the top down or from the bottom up approach? Yeah, so I think, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear the number one issue in terms of higher education is, is the cost of education. Um, I think, you know, we're lucky at UMass Lowell. We're widely ranked as one of the highest return on investment um, institutions in the country. And so, and especially given that we're the only state public university um, in Massachusetts that has a PT program, you know, we consistently have higher than average enrollments, but you know, cost can be a huge detractor. I don't have to tell you guys that, right? It, it, it really weighs on your decision. You have to think critically about that, um, not just for a student, but for a parent. So I view that as a prime opportunity to kind of reevaluate how we brand ourselves and advertise ourselves to students, um, so to speak, because look, we're not doing our job if we don't look at what their current needs are or what the workforce needs are. It changes, I mean, heck, it changes daily, not just monthly or yearly. So our, uh, our new degree pathway is a prime example of, of how we went top down and bottom up. You know, we asked the students, we said, what do you, what do you need? And they said, well, I'm not sure if I want to do clinical work. I'd love to stay in this major and not have to go do just a nutritional science or a public health. And then we talked to administration and they said, well, we need, to, we need to make sure we have enrollment. We need to make sure we keep students within the majors. We don't want them going to another whole nother college, you know, within the university. Um, so, so it's, I mean, when it comes down to that and it comes to retention of students, um, it's all financial. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, totally. And I know, I know that you're primarily the program director within the exercise physiology program. Um, but something I think a lot of therapists, physical therapists specifically, have kind of been kind of curious about, because we did a poll not too long ago where we asked, um, actually our wrap-up question, which we'll ask in a little bit, but the question is, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? So the number one most common response was, of course, cost. And then number two was updated curriculum. And I know you had mentioned kind of some of the struggles with getting updated curriculum, as you mentioned before, with having to go up through all these levels and have these shifts. And, and there's a lot to it. Are there any other barriers that are kind of from your position? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think it's because the primary objective of a graduate physical therapy program or any graduate clinical study program is to have your students pass the boards. So until the boards update and change their content, 
we have to spend time on this, the things that are in there. And, you know, it, I'm not going to lie and say that all of the stuff in there is updated. It isn't. And, you know, so one of the things that I'm advocating in my graduate courses that I'm teaching this fall and also to the other faculty is, okay, listen, we have the hand that we're dealt. We can't change it. So why don't we think critically about it? You know, so for instance, I'm teaching the modalities course this, this fall um, to second year students. Um, it's going to be some of the most driest material probably for them because they are more up to date than we are in terms of using social media and everything and, and learning about what is used and what isn't used and what's effective and what's not. And so my take on it is, look, we're going to have to learn this. So why don't we learn it this way? Let's look at what it says. Let's look at the research says. Is it, does it support it? Does it dissent it? Um, and then also, what else can we do that achieves the same goals? So by doing that and by saying, look, you know, let's just use ultrasound, for example. Ultrasound says it's going to do this and it's for this. Well, what does the research say? But what else can you do that will get the same goal of, uh, you know, increasing tissue temperature or whatever ultrasound claims to do or whatever the research says it does? So re and, and I think through that process, what it does is it forces them to think critically and gain that clinical reasoning skill that if I'm going to choose this, I need to look at the research. And if the research doesn't support that, how else can I accomplish that goal? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And, you know, I want to guess, ask one brief follow-up here, Kyle, because you had mentioned before that, again, they're kind of having to adhere to the board exam to a certain degree. Are there any kind of big things going on with that that you're aware of to make that change? Yeah, I mean, there has been some mass support, so to speak, um, letters sent from multiple institutions um, who signed their name to FSPT uh, about certain rules and regulations um, that we oppose or we don't think are helpful to PT education. And certainly it's an ongoing discussion when we, when we say, let's, you know, for instance, why are we not having more test questions about exercise prescription and programming <laughs> or strength and conditioning? You know, it's always an ongoing dialogue. Um, but, but again, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's, you know, how do we, the, 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 and I see it from their point to a certain degree, how do they ensure that that is being taught properly across all uh, institutions so that everyone um, can master that content for the boards? And, and to that, I say, well, we've done that with ultrasound and we've done that with ESTEM and we've done that with manual therapy. And we seem to be doing pretty well in terms of uh, graduation rates and pass rates on the NPTE. So, you know, it's, it's ongoing. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And Kyle, you know, I know we talked about a lot of big ideas from cost curriculum and some of the other things you had mentioned, but, you know, now I'm going to kind of ask you personally, if the answer hasn't already been discussed, and if it has been, then we'll choose something else that you're maybe your next biggest go-to. But if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, whether that be DPT or otherwise, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? I would make sure as best as we possibly can um, that students who are entering graduate clinical studies and obviously in my field or our field, physical therapy, are truly sure that they want to do it. Now, things happen. Uh, but what I mean by that is, you know, the cost of education and um, the lack of content that we've mentioned before is irrelevant if we know that the students who are entering are truly there and that they want to get there. So how do we do that? I think one of the ways we do that is we Im implement an interview process for all students. 
Um, not just, you know, you don't just apply your application, you send in your application and your GRE scores. You actually have a video chat. I mean, we have this amazing technology. I'm across the country from you guys and I'm talking to you right now. We can do this. We can have video chats. We can, we can talk to students and see where their head's at and see what their, their goals and aspirations are. And then furthermore, I think that we can then, by doing that, we can foster that throughout their three years of graduate education. Right. Our goal, if, we, if we're being true to ourselves as, as faculty members, is the fostering of students. And that's just not from an educational standpoint. That should be from a career standpoint as well. Well, thank you so much for your insight today, Kyle. The other thing is, is people, if they want to ask follow up questions to you, where can they find you online or on social media? So, yeah, you can go to um, I mean, you can go to UMass Lowell's uh, website and you can find me there. Um, you can go to my uh, personal business, Modus Physical Therapy and Performance. So that's ModusPTPerformance.com. On Twitter, it's ModusPTNH. Instagram, it's at ModusPT. And then Facebook, at ModusPTPerformance. So there's a whole host of ways to reach me. And, and, and let me say very clearly, I mentioned um, 35 to 50 emails per day um, and having an away message that helps me sort through those. If you send me an email, I absolutely will get back to you. So um, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. No, that's great. And we'll put all those links, especially with those book recommendations in the show notes for you guys and with a link to the program. So you guys can kind of check it out at your own leisurely time. But, you know, Kyle, again, thanks so much for coming on, man. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere healthcare a telehealth platform is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.